0: Hi, David Amir here. This is For the Record program number 1279. Interview number 16 with Jim Eugenio and John Newman about JFK Revisited. This is being recorded on December 16th of the year 2022. And it is my uh, great pleasure and special privilege to not only bring Jim DiEgenio back to our airwaves, but also to introduce to the audience John Newman, uh, featured not only very prominently in the JFK Revisited documentary, but also the author of many books about the JFK assassination and other elements of the intelligence community. John, welcome to our airwaves.
1: Thanks for inviting me on. My pleasure.
0: Why don't we start very quickly by giving a, with you giving a, a brief synopsis of the books that you have written. So people have some uh bibliographical reference to your work.
1: There were two early books. Um, one was uh, my dissertation, which was JFK in Vietnam. That really came first back in 1992. Uh, it's been updated 25 years later. It was suppressed uh, for an several, uh, almost a year until the Galbraith family was able to intervene with Time Warner, Inc. and get me my rights back. Um, and uh, Oswald and the CIA had an addendum uh, to it in 2008. Uh, it, it was originally published in 95. And um, anyway, along the way, I got out of it. Uh, it was uh, it was a little bit uh you know, too much of one thing in six years went by and I jumped back in, um, all in, not just to do a book, but to actually try and do something a whole lot deeper on the case. And I launched a series of, uh, of volumes on the Kennedy presidency, actually the Cold War and within that, the Kennedy presidency and assassination. And I'm currently, um, it just finished volume four. Uh I went back to the early uh to the fifties and volume um one where angels tread lightly. Volume two, Countdown to Darkness, gets us up into the Bay of Pigs, and where um motive starts to creep in uh between the the Pentagon, the, the Joint Chiefs and, and, and Kennedy and then uh, into the storm takes us into um into 1962 which is a very crowded time in the cold war but of course it, it 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 would include the cuban missile crisis and uh and then uh i was working on a a very big volume called armageddon uh which is basically what was about to happen that's what the big boys wanted to do they hadn't have any idea at the time that they'd had all those warheads on all the targets they wanted, you and I wouldn't be talking to each other right now. Um, but, uh, along the way, after four years of working on Armageddon, uh, we made a little discovery, it actually ended up being a big discovery. It was a guy by the name of Pyotr Popov, who was a GRU, um, uh, Soviet intelligence, KGB intelligence, I should say, Um he defected to the CIA in 1951 and gave us bales of information. He was a little bit, uh, uh, unsecure, uh, but in any event, yeah, they, they, they caught him in the end and executed him uh, in 1958, 59. Uh, but just before then, before they took him back to Moscow, he warned the CIA, that there was a high echelon staff mole at the top of the CIA. And um, that mole was never uncovered for 70 years until this little discovery that turned into a big discovery. At Towards the end, we were just getting ready to publish as volume four Armageddon when we discovered who the mole was. And, uh, it's, it's a crazy story, but it changes everything the way we think about the top of the CIA and MI6, their intelligence services and, and Western intelligence services, them, all of them. Um, and the problem that we discovered was that the, the, uh, mole hunter in the CIA, which was, um, a job that was owned by the security office which nobody gets to investigate those guys it's very interesting anyway the uh, the mole hunter uh in the security office of the central intelligence agency was the mole had been all along
2: wasn't armageddon supposed to be about the missile crisis well, that was just
1: the end, ending two chapters of it. There was a whole bunch of stuff that talked about Burris and LBJ and everything else. I mean, Armageddon was, was a huge project and still is. It's probably going to be split into two volumes. We've got, we've got well over 800, 900 pages of, of, of text already, which is going to be updated now that we know who this mole was and, and the fact that the KGB owned
2: the CIA and MI6 for 20 years. See, one of the things that John told me uh, that I thought was so fascinating is that he said that in this Armageddon volume, he was going to reveal that the Joint Chiefs knew the missiles were in Cuba before Kennedy knew the missiles were in Cuba. Isn't that what you were going to say in that book? Oh, yeah.
1: We had a couple chapters on that. And and we had four, three, three or four. Different sources giving us the same answers. Yeah. There's no question about it.
2: And they and they didn't tell Kennedy, right? No,
1: and of course they didn't want to tell him. They wanted him backed up against the wall, you know, and where where he would have to use them. If he knew about it, Kennedy would have been able to finesse the whole thing.
2: Okay. All right. They didn't I, want that, him to know. That's, a, that's an incredible discovery. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, uh, John and Jim, I want to get into the, uh, very, that, that obviously the Cuban Missile Crisis and Kennedy's relationship with the Joint Chiefs and, uh, the many, uh, potential involvements, involvements and crises that he faced. Uh, will be subjects that we'll be talking about as we get into the, uh, topical discussion of the film proper, JFK Revisited and JFK uh, Destiny Betrayed. Uh, very quickly, John, for those who are not familiar with your background, if you could synopsize your own, uh, history with the National Security Establishment to give people an idea of the perspective that you bring to your scholarship.
1: I joined, uh, the army uh, army intelligence as an enlisted man, uh, only to get, um, GI Bill and Asian assignments and more Chinese Mandarin. I had a couple of kids along the way. I was married and I decided to leave and then they decided that they would make me an officer. And uh, so we did that in, um, in my seventh year, which was about 1979 or so, uh, in there. And, um, and I rose very quickly, um, in, into, you know, through, uh, skip, second lieutenant, first lieutenant became, ended, ended up being a major in, in, in army intelligence. And, um, within a couple of years, uh, my boss was general William Odom, the director of the national security agency. Everything that went into his office went over my desk first. And I used to have to put a buck slip on, on front of that, that thumbs up, thumbs down or something else. Um, and so that, that was quite a, um, a quick and that there, there are more parts to that story, but that's, that's the way it it happened. And, um, along the end of the way after going to, uh, to be an attache in, in China, which I was, uh, for about a year and a half, um, my last, a couple of years were spent in a small, very secret, um, organization that belonged to the Army Intelligence, but it was technically under, um, Intelligence Threatened Analysis Center at NPIC. That's where they do the uh, photographs of things. And it was during that time, uh, that, um, that I had my, I met McNamara. And, uh, and a couple of, uh, of other people and it changed. That was
0: former defense secretary Robert McMillan. Go ahead, John.
1: That's, that's correct. That's correct. Um, so when I wrote JFK in Vietnam, um, it was obvious to me, uh, I found all the documents showing that the law, uh, how Kennedy was lied to in 1962 in order to keep him from pulling out of Vietnam and um and i published those documents and wrote about them and burris was the guy who wrote the documents to lbj he was lbj's aide although in armageddon i will make the case that he was actually uh he was in in charge he was the, lbj was the understudy uh to to howard burris and uh anyway uh burris uh I met with him many times and he told me what was going on with, with this terrible thing to do to Kennedy to, 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 they lie, they used McNamara and they lied to McNamara and then, and then it goes to Kennedy. And so they, they thought everything was going on quite well until they figured out towards the end of 1962 that, that they had been lied to and that changed everything. But um this is a time, uh, where I'm getting out of the army. I could have stayed in. I, I was in, in line to be the attache in, in Beijing, but the defense attache, that is. And I decided that I didn't want to do that. And I'd already been teaching at night and, uh, finished my PhD, uh, while I was still working for Odom in, in modern Far Eastern history. And, uh, I've been teaching courses on the 60s, the Cold War, uh, University of Maryland Honors College for 20 years, and then uh, just recently got tired of going from where I live, which is in the Shenandoah Valley, driving all the way in, <laughs> into uh, Washington on these highways, I got a really nice uh, offer from James Madison University here where I am. And I teach counterterrorism, international terrorism, and occasionally I'll do America in the 60s as well. And so I've written a lot of books on those things as well. But um, I think what um, it all comes together, my military background, my academic background, is basically pointing towards uh, you have to understand the Cold War. And the, in a the Cold War where you're not shooting each other, you know, th- those are the political military um, establishments. Right? Those, those are the, the, the ones that are on, on opposite sides of the Cold War. Well, when you're not actually shooting each other, what's going on is that the spy services of those political military, uh, establishments are in effect where the war is being waged in secret, stealing each other's secrets. And so increasingly this has become a, uh, the center of, of the work. And that's why discovering Pop Off Mole was such a big deal. But we'll be, once that's done, you know, I've got Armageddon. I've got a couple other books that, uh, I'm not going to re- uh, reveal the the names of them because there was an attempt to suppress my book, Pop Off's Mole by some ex, you know, uh, Government types that didn't work so well, but, uh, I didn't like it. They had my manuscript. And, um, so now we're, um, we're not going to let anybody know what the next book is, the real next book is until John, after John, John
2: left some, John left something out. Okay. He actually was an actor in Oliver Stone's movie, JFK. And the reason that Oliver wanted him in the film, is because John was a consultant on the movie and I think I'm correct on this. Uh, he actually wrote, uh, a couple of the scenes in five the film. scenes.
1: Yeah. Right out okay. of JFK in Vietnam. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That are actually in that film. Okay. And, uh, if you recall Dave and I'm sure you do, you know, Oliver got pilloried. Uh, for that film. And I've always believed it was because of the Vietnam stuff, because the, the, mainstream media did not want to admit that they completely missed that story that Kennedy was getting out of Vietnam at the time of his death. And that that policy was reversed. And then John's book came out, which was the first book length treatment of that subject. There had been some work done before by people like Peter Scott and Fletcher Prouty and O'Donnell and O'Donnell and Powers. But his was the first book length treatment of that story, over 400 pages. And it got on the cover of the New York times magazine and book review Right magazine. by, by Arthur Schlesinger, right? Right. Right. Arthur front page. Okay. And then all of a sudden the book disappeared. <laughs> you get a front page review of the New York Times and then the book disappears. But thankfully, he got the rights back. And and I believe, I really believe this. I believe the second version of the book is even better than the first version of the book. Okay? So that's the one you want to buy, is the second version of JFK and Vietnam.
0: Oh, maybe. Um we will go over the, the books again uh, at the end of this interview. Uh, I did not realize uh, the involvement of John with the original JFK movie from 1991. Uh, as I've mentioned, I think Oliver Stone, as someone who had been looking into the Kennedy assassination or researching for uh, decades, after Oliver Stone's movie, the entire focus Increased exponentially, and because Oliver Stone had uh, not only violated but had be- basically disproved uh, the contemporary or the prevailing intellectual orthodoxy, he received the treatment that perceived heretics do, and uh, he deserves a tremendous amount of gratitude and support. As do uh, both of you. Going, turning now to the actual subject material of JFK Revisited. Uh, John, you noted uh, we've spoken about Patrice Lumumba and uh, JFK's policy uh, in the Congo and Alan Dulles's, uh haste to get rid of Patrice Lumumba before Kennedy took office. But you mentioned that in a meeting Eisenhower, who had already ordered uh, Lumumba liquidated, actually blurted out in the middle of the meeting something uh, about that
1: yeah he he wasn't um the kind of president that usually did that sort of thing he, he was able to keep his um cool, but this was a very bad time for him. It was trouble in Cuba, the loss of cuba uh the trouble in the laos uh the u two incident uh the bitter confrontation with Khrushchev at the paris summit all those things were happening and he and and here comes Lumumba along and Look, Eisenhower never, uh, was, was very fond of African Americans. Uh, and Lumumba was, was going, um, as Eisenhower saw it. And I think it was fair to say that Lumumba was going playing around with uh, Moscow because, uh, we were playing around with it, with, with him. And, and, and there were, there were places in Africa that, that, uh, that had, uh, uh, were taking Taking all the, the, uh, the gold and, 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 and and minerals from, uh, Lumumba and the Congo. And so, um, but that was, that was, that was the tripwire for, for Eisenhower. Uh, and, and he wanted Lumumba gone. And, um, he's, he said a, a number of things privately to people about it, but, uh, that's, you know, the conjunction of all those things going very badly for him. Um, he just blew his stack one day and came right out and said it in front of everybody. And there was silence in the room. I couldn't believe he said that. And the, the person who is the secretary who, who takes the notes was gone and there was a new guy, uh, Robert Johnson. And, and, um, he didn't know what to do with that. And so he, he asked a couple of people that were senior to him in the, in the, in the White House, and they said, you know, they, we shouldn't, we shouldn't publish that. It's just too, too sensitive. And so they didn't. And it was years later in the nineties, uh, that, uh, no, no, excuse me, in the, in the seventies. Seventies, seventies. Yeah. In the seventies, in mid seventies and late seventies, uh, where he, he became, um i guess he his mom, his jesus moment, and so he un- unbeknownst to the house Select Committee on assassinations he just blurted out and told them what had happened, and so that's how we know about it um and so um i i don't think that's the only person who was assassinated or killed um I think that there were, there were Others, a triple play, uh, uh, was, was, was in play with, with Eisenhower. Um, they, he wanted to get Castro and he wanted Trujillo. Um, and, um, you know, this is the, when I read these things and wrote about this stuff, it really changed my view of Eisenhower. I had this idea of him, you know, of, uh, almost senile guy in his last years on the golf course. And no, this, this guy was in the driver's seat. He, he had a, he wanted to, he wanted three people assassinated. And the reason why Trujillo and, and, uh, had to be assassinated was to take, uh, was to bring along the South uh, American people. And the way, the reason Lumumba had to really go was because, uh, that was the price that, uh, the, our allies in, in Europe were demanding, especially the French. Um, so, uh, in order to keep everything together, he felt like he needed all these three guys to be. Um, put the rest literally, and um, well, it happened. Uh, but except for Castro.
0: Another thing that you comment on in the film, John, and this has a perhaps a special resonance today, December 16th, because within the last two days, there has been the release of uh, another trove of documents that have been classified. But you mentioned that in 2017, Donald Trump doubled back on his promise to uh, abide by the uh, dictate to release the documents. I'm wondering if you would comment on that and, and or both John and Jim. I don't know if you have had an opportunity to parse any of the newly released documents, but if you have and if there is something that you would like to comment on, please, please do. Well,
1: I would begin with the comment that even the Democrats, we've had Clinton uh, and Obama and now Biden have not have not done well on, on this. Well, they, they are very busy doing things that the, the Republicans don't like. And I guess they just don't want to piss off the, uh, you know, the, the establishment, the security establishment. Uh, and that's why we've seen very little from them. Of course, nothing happened under Bush and, and Trump was, was boasting, right? Boasting how, oh, how I'll release everything. And then when the day comes, Magically, the very day, the last on the very last day, he's on an airplane and he changes his mind. Um, so we've never done very well uh, in in the courts, the judiciary, which um, had given us some good decisions in some of the uh, lawsuits uh, back in the the nineties and in and, eighties, and has gone con- considerably in the opposite direction. We're not getting very much help at all out of the. Uh, out of the judiciary so um what i i have looked at uh several of these of these documents and and i'm not impressed um i'm always happy to see a new redaction here or there because you can you put it's like a piece of the puzzle you get another piece to put in and that's fine but um i have to tell you that the best uh um releases of documents took place in 2017 and 2018 and then another one a, little, a couple of years later that that are 6 million pages of of material that that have barely been worked so um these things that these stages that we keep going through and and there's you know a lot of people I remember the, when we, the first time that it happened way back in the day a friend of mine uh, research associate Jay Harvey and I were down in narrow one. Narrow two didn't exist then. And we had just five brown boxes that had been the first release. This was before the big releases, way, way before it. And so we were in there trying to, uh, copy them with a, with a Xerox machine that didn't work. And as soon as I walked out into the hall, two, two people with microphones stick them in my, in front of my mouth and ask me, what's in, what's in the boxes? <laughs> I, had, I hadn't had a chance to look at them. And so they, that's what every, all of a sudden when there's the release, then, then we have this fanfare and people are interviewing people and people are getting on TV and, and then, you know, a week later, it just goes away. And, you know, people just, uh, a lot of people that are our colleagues tend to, um, focus in the documents only those things that agree with their particular version of Colonel Mustard in the library with the wrench, And they're not interested in, in doing the hard slogging work of, of, you know, month in, month out, year in, year out going through all those documents. And that's what's coming out of my books. And it's all new stuff. It only because, it hasn't been published before, not because it's really new. It's always been sitting there since 2017, at least.
0: Uh, John, you uh comment in the film also about another topic that we have uh, discussed before, and it is directly relevant to JFK and his conflicts with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the uh, Policy Matters, Operation Northwoods. Woods. I wonder if you'd uh, briefly recap that for us
1: well there's mongoose that began the year in 1962 operation mongoose transitions into operation northwoods which kennedy had n- did not want that to happen but let me just preface this this story which gets very dangerous of course by the time we get into the middle of the cuban missile crisis and kennedy finds out that there's all these missiles ready to fire down there um so Kennedy the Kennedy brothers had put to bed for at the, for a while the Vietnam problem there was a uh, a nuclear tinged Laos problem that was was baking and, and looked like it would it could be it could you know it could blow up it didn't they 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 took care of that and um and so they, having put to, to bed a lot of the um Cold War flashpoints, they felt like, okay, now it's time to go back and get, get Castro again. It was the worst mistake that the Kennedy brothers ever made. And they, and, and the idea was they were going to overthrow Castro without going in with combat troops, of course. The only problem with that was that, that it was 10 10 times, a hundred times worse. In in the spring of sixty two, than it than it had been in in the spring of sixty one in the Bay of Pigs, there were tons of tanks, artillery pieces, and all kinds of of, of Russian intelligence people that were that had rolled up all the the uh groups, the anti Castro groups. It was over. There was no way you could do this, but and they you know, so they started doing it. And of all people besides Bobby, they picked Ed Lansdale, <laughs> who wanted to go, desperately wanted to go to Vietnam to be Diem's, you know, Diem's assistant because he had been there before. And Kennedy said, no, you're not going there because Rusk was going to resign if, if, <laughs> if he got that job as ambassador to Vietnam. So he said, no, you're going to stay right here where I, where I can use you. And so he puts Lansdale, along with Bobby Kennedy, in charge of Mongoose. And so Lansdale starts writing all these um, tasks, like 37 tasks, 38 tasks. And what he does secretly is start working with um Lemnitzer, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, during the spring. And secretly, Lemminster is building... In the J1, uh, J2 Intel, J3 operations, J4 logistics aspects of the Pentagon, large, uh, he's putting lots and lots of people in them, getting ready for an, an intervention in Vietnam with, with U.S. combat troops, which is secret because Kennedy, it's off, it's off the books. Well, Lansdale starts secretly inserting this stuff, these tasks, into it, and, and the Kennedy brothers figure it out, you know, at the end of February and March. So they kneecap Lansdale, and, and the, it, it forces the snake in the grass to, to step up to the plate, and that's Linditzer, and he didn't have any problem sitting down and telling Kennedy what, what he wanted to do. He figured that because, you know, Kennedy didn't want to go into a Bay of Pigs, uh, at the time, because we would be beating up on somebody that hadn't done anything, he figured if they could give Kennedy a, a reason, you know, a pretext reason, that Kennedy might change his mind, especially with the missiles coming in. And so uh, he puts Northwoods on the table in front of Kennedy, and Kennedy, um, you know, rebukes him for it. And uh, in the, just as the Cuban Missile Crisis is is is. Coming to its, its head, um, Lemnitzer is on his way out because Kennedy's not gonna, um, um, he had the option of keeping him in the, in the position of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and didn't. And the, the day that he gave Lemnitzer, uh, an award, a bye-bye award before he went over to be the SAC year, which was a terrible mistake that Kennedy made to send the Supreme Allied Commander Europe where Operation Gladio, which is another thing we, we won't have the time to go into, but anyway, a lot of assassins and bad people over there that Lenminster was able to go to. But there's a picture of that day where Kennedy is just pinned on this, this medal on Lenminster, and Lenminster is, is looking at him with such dagger eyes that Kennedy is like squinting, like, oh, my God. And it's a picture worth a thousand words. We, when we, I've done my Armageddon, uh, you know, presentations, we always show that picture because it, um, it really is the essence of where things had to come be, between the Pentagon and, and, and Lemister wasn't the only guy. My, Le, LeMay was crazy. The Air Force, uh, uh, chief of staff, um, Wanted to, he, he just wanted to do it all with the, with the Air Force. He didn't, he didn't care about submarines and the Navy. He, he, he built a, uh, so many, uh, aircraft with all the, all the weapons and, and the idea that he wanted to do everything at once. He wanted three warheads on each target in the Soviet Union and China. And, um, Kennedy asked Lemmature, you know, uh, why, why China? I haven't seen that they're, you know, uh, doing anything to us. And and Lendman looks at him and says, well, it's in the plans. It's in the plan, Mr. President. So they didn't like each other very much. But this is a time when if it had, had happened, the earth would not be what it is today. It was that close. And a lot of people don't understand that once Kennedy was killed at the end of 63, and Khrushchev was deposed because Khrushchev didn't want war either. He only was bluster. But you had the two military, uh, you know, the two militaries wanting to go to war with each other after, because uh, uh, Kennedy is killed, as you know, in November 63, and then Khrushchev is purged six months later. And there's all kinds of false flag operations they're doing in the Tonkin Gulf, trying to get it started with China. And the only reason it doesn't is because LBJ says, no, he doesn't want anything to happen until he's, he's elected in his own right. He, he was only president then because, you know, he was the vice president and Kennedy had been killed. So 64 was very dangerous as well. And, um, anyway,
2: uh, they John, didn't up the world uh... but they got,
1: They got Vietnam. They got Vietnam. So that's.
2: Yeah. Let, let, let I wanted to transition to that in his in his new version of his book j f k and vietnam um John has this really neat scene in the book, which is after the November debates, where Kennedy has decided there are not going to be any combat troops, but we'll we'll send them more aid, okay, and more advisors there's this meeting, I believe on november the twenty seventh where kennedy is very upset because of all the fighting he had to do in those mid November debates to get his point of view across to his advisors and okay, I think
0: very, very quickly this is nineteen sixty one
2: this is sixty one right
0: right yeah, go ahead.
2: late nineteen sixty one november and, december sixty one yeah and so and Kennedy just says he blurts out. Now, who is going to go ahead and implement my Vietnam policy? And Matt DiMera raises his hand. Hey,
1: Jim, can I stop you? Sure. Right before that line, the first thing he says, "Uh, you get with my policy or you get out. Right, right. Now, who (laughs) is going to... But he brought in the people he fired and the people that he was replacing them with. And in front of all of them, he, he says, you get with my policy or you get out. And then what you said, now, who's going to be, you know, who's going to put my Vietnam policy together? Who's going to do that? And, and, of course, McNamara puts his
2: hand up. And that's that's a very key point in in this whole struggle, you know, over escalation in, in, in Vietnam, because as John and, and Jamie Galbraith said, McNamara actually did a pretty good job towing the line once he was given the job. You know, to go ahead and implement uh first uh this uh policy that would just send more advisors, okay, but secondly, then later a withdrawal program. All right. And now and John does a nice job on that in his book also, because he brings in uh John Kenneth Galbraith. Why don't you pick it up from the time that Galbraith goes to see McNamara in April of nineteen sixty-two?
1: Well, yeah, by, by, by that time, it's, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, things are, are going haywire. Okay. I mean, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis is, is, is upon us. And so it's not just, uh, uh, something that's happening all by itself. There are just all kinds of, of stresses and strains going on, uh, between East and West in, in the Cold War. And anyway, that's the point where it starts to get serious in, in terms of some of these secretary of defense conferences is in 62 in the summer of 62. And, um, the, some of the people that, that are there, um, don't like it. Some of the, some of the officers that, that are there. And so they, they start fiddling around with some of the, the stuff. The McNamara comes to a conference and they talk about things. And then when they write a report, it's not what McNamara wanted. And then, you know, some of these reports, um, <laughs> never made, saw the light a day during this time period in, in this, by the summer and the fall of 62. And so, but the, the Galbraith, uh, relationship with Kennedy was very strong and, and, Galbraith impressed upon him that, you know, like, who, who, who needs Vietnam in the space age? That was something he used to, used to say, but, um, it became clear that something was, was not right. And Kennedy began sending other people, um, you know, some of the people that personally worked for him and some of them that didn't, you know, sending them over on, on missions. And then that, you know, for a while, the people who wanted to, wanted, uh, you know, wanted war, they would, they would send to their mission too, and they would come back with a different, um, a different, um, they, they, they would come back and say, yeah, no, we, we, we should, we should, uh, we should not withdraw. We, we need to do this, that and the other. And so it all comes to a head eventually, you know, between the summer and the, the end of 62, Kennedy understands that he's been lied to. And now, he does something that I take him to task for, which he starts to lie because he doesn't want them to know that he knows. So he plays along like everything is just fine. He, and his, but his plan, and this is the key, his plan is to wait until 64. The problem that develops in early 63 is the Buddhist crisis and it the bottom falls, the political bottom falls out in Vietnam because of it, and Kennedy has to accelerate the withdrawal plan. He had an intended to do that.
0: John, I want to interrupt very briefly because some of the audience, a lot of the audience may be too young for me to really remember this, but in early 63, the majority Buddhist population of what was then South Vietnam began uh, a series of demonstrations against the GM government and the GM people were Roman Catholics. So that is that is the context of which your, your comments are being made. Gen, please.
1: Yeah, and so but th- th- that's what touches it off. I mean and these these uh um uh, are are just torching themselves, you know, once a week. And 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 Kennedy is really mad. He says, you know, why don't why don't we know about this? What the hell's going on? He's very upset because it his plan, the way he had it all planned out, wasn't going to work. He was going to have to start the withdrawal before 1964. To so, and and the, the reasoning behind this uh, that uh, McNamara had to uh, help him with was because it, if they didn't start the withdrawal, they would never would get a chance to do it. So they by by starting the withdrawal early. In the fall of 1963, it would put it in concrete. And we didn't know for a fact this was so until I got a hold of, of the, um, interviews of McNamara that were done in, in the seventies. And, and it's, it's all there. It's all there. That's what they, they, they said we're going to pull out even if we lose. And that startled a lot of a lot of people. I remember some conferences I went to that people weren't prepared for this, and there was a lot of pushback. But you know, that's 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 what happened. Kennedy and was how, going to get out one way or the other, and he and he had to start it early because of the Buddhist crisis.
2: See another important piece of evidence that was declassified by the review board, which really upset the MSM's apple cart, was the May 1963 sec deaf conference in Hawaii in which you, it's right there in black and white. McNamara is asking for all the withdrawal schedules from every department. Okay. Cause they all, they all come over, you know, the state department, CIA, Pentagon, et cetera. Okay. And so Pentagon, he asked for the withdrawals and then he looks at them and then he looks up and he says, this is too slow. Yep. <laughs> we're going to have to accelerate this. See, so that piece of evidence actually made the New York Times have a headline saying Kennedy had exit plan for Vietnam in
0: 1963. Okay? I think that, you know, talking about the hermit's nest that the or the hermit swarm that descended on Oliver Stone uh, after JFK came out, uh, I think the material we are talking about now because the you know, the orthodox version of our entry into Vietnam was that JFK started us in and LBJ simply picked up where he left off and yet Oliver Stone in JFK uh, and and now uh, still further in JFK Revisited and JFK Destiny Betrayed has presented information uh, from both Hugh John and Hugh Jim and others that fundamentally proves the Orthodox version to be incorrect. And not only, as you know, Richard. not only does that uh run afoul of the of the MSM, the mainstream media, but you're also running afoul of the progressive sector. And if you ruffle their feathers, they will uh well <laughs> they will not take it kindly. So right. one of the one, right, one of geez. the uh
2: at the time of the film, okay, uh John and Fletcher Prouty and Oliver Stone were being attacked by not just the MSM, George Lardner. George Lardner really didn't like this whole Vietnam angle, okay? And John actually did a column about Lardner in the Boston Globe, okay, pointing out a mistake he had made, which George didn't like, okay? But then you You got it from these left wing bastions like Alexander Coburn and noam chomsky simply and 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 for different reasons, they had bought in to this orthodoxy that Kennedy started something and then Johnson continued something. but John wrote very clearly in his book that what Kennedy started was a plan to withdraw around the election of nineteen sixty four Johnson had a plan to escalate around the, around the election of 1964. And the, the thing about John's book, uh, you know, it's very hard in academia to buck a trend that's been established. Okay. But John's book, even though it was suppressed, managed to actually inspire other professors to go ahead and take up the torch where he left it. And so you got people like James Blight in Virtual JFK, David Kaiser in American Tragedy, um, Howard Jones, Death of a Generation, Gordon Goldstein, okay, who wrote another good book, Lessons in Disaster. And I believe it was the combination of John's book and and the Stone film, which inspired this new generation of scholarship, which they all ended up agreeing with John, all those guys ended up agreeing with John, okay, so that's how influential this was of
0: uh, the Vietnam War was arguably the signature event uh in the lives of the Moch Valleyhood baby boomers, uh whether one was for the war or against it, or uh, actually went there to fight or well uh, not. Uh, one thing that I would like to, uh, review, we have discussed this before, uh, Kennedy was killed on Friday, November 22nd, and on Sunday, November 24th, the day that Ruby executed Oswald, uh, the process of negating NSA six NSA and 263 began. And I wonder if I could ask you, John, and you, Jim, we have got about 10 minutes left in this interview. Uh, those two, National Security Action Memorandum 263, 273. Yeah, well, tell us I, about them.
1: Uh, Let me take that on. Look, uh, 263 in itself is difficult not to, to, to take up 10 minutes to talk about. Um, it, but it, 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 it happened in, in October. Um, and it was, um, uh, Kennedy was, was, was worried, um, about it. And he made uh, the go out onto the steps and, and, and say that was his recommendation. But anyway, um, everybody found out. The press found out that that um, that what Kennedy was up to, and 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 they hadn't they hadn't put the paper. And so, you know, his, his 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 aide said, "Look, you know, if we can read it in the New York Times, we might as well go ahead and put it into an NSAM." And that's when NSAM 263 was actually crafted even after the decision had been made, which it says so in the NSAM. But it's two seventy three, which is 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 more interesting because there are two versions of it. 273 um, was crafted while Kennedy was alive and uh, but very close to it 2 days before um, he 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 was assassinated is when it, that was was uh, put in um, you know put into play uh but he he never was able to uh bless it because the entire staff was out there in Honolulu for big meetings. But anyway, it was crafted by, uh, McGeorge Bundy, um, because McGeorge, and, and, and it, it did not allow for, um, U.S. intervention in Vietnam. It didn't allow for anything, uh, any increase in, in money or weapons and support. Except for support to South Vietnamese forces, period. And so that excluded, if you're a war planner, there was no way that there was an American invention, uh, intervention going to happen with that NSAM. Now Kennedy gets killed, and the day after that, the NSAM 273 gets changed. The very next day, Kennedy's in, in, you know, in, in a, in a casket up, up on Capitol Hill. And, and so what happens is they change the key paragraph, uh, in 273 that would exclude, uh, anything but just helping the South Vietnamese forces. And if you're a war planner looking at that, it means you can do whatever you want. And so that, there were, there were some happy to glads in some of the paragraphs in 273, the, the second version. But the key paragraph I'm talking about, there are these two huge slash marks through that whole paragraph that I found a copy of. And I got a hold of McGeorge Bundy, you know, and I asked him, I said, you know, uh, what about this? You know, he said, you were, you were there, you know, in Honolulu when they, when they had that meeting, he said, yeah, I don't remember doing this. He said, do you mind sending me the, the, the documents? And I, I sent them to him and he called me back. He said, yep, they're mine. I wrote them. I said, well, then, okay, tell me who, uh, why you put those two slashes through, through that paragraph. He said, because LBJ ordered me to. And that opened the door to op plan 34A, which, which Lemnitzer, that's, excuse me, not Lemnitzer, but Taylor, Maxwell Taylor, um, and, and, and another couple of officers were secretly doing behind McNamara's back. They were secretly also gutting the withdrawal plan behind Mer- McNamara's back during the last six weeks of Kennedy's life. And so that, that NSAM 273 was part of that secret, um, opening of the door for getting into Vietnam that was, was in play even while Kennedy was still alive.
0: And uh, it it it's fascinating to contemplate that within a couple of days, Kennedy's killed, uh, Ruby kills Oswald, and at that very moment, the direction is being switched fundamentally in a direction that would, uh, I would use the phrase, consume uh, my generation. You know, the Vietnam War was an absolutely pivoting, a pivotal event. And uh, one way or another, it had a profound effect on the people who lived through that time. Um, Dave, yeah, so, Dave,
2: yeah. Dave, the Vietnam War was the most divisive struggle in American history since the war between the states, I believe. If you, if, if you had to live through it, which I think all three of us had to realize how divisive, how polarizing it was to the, to the nation's body fragment. I I really don't think it's ever been the same since.
0: I was about to say, Jim, I don't think the divisions have ever been bridged. I think that that, uh, much of what has taken place since that war uh, has been uh, a, a factor of momentum from the divisions that were created at that time.
1: Well, the fact of the matter is, after that happened, when Kennedy gets killed and in we go, uh, there were two people in particular that decided they were going to, uh, put their shoulder against that. And one was Bobby Kennedy and the other was Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King actually was, uh, announced that he was going to run for president until RFK got involved. And when RFK decided he was going to run, Martin Luther King stepped back. But both of those guys were going to do whatever they could to stop that war. And, and King was, uh, with devastating impact preaching to young black men and 70% of all the ground forces. And there were uh black men because they didn't have their two S deferments like the rest of us did. And, and so uh, people were not going, the, the African-Americans were not going because of King and, uh, and Muhammad Ali did, did it too. I'm not going, but so that's, why they were both taken out at the same time within a few months a couple of months of each other and uh it was very much like you know the, you know the the murder in Dallas, in Dallas Texas was like in high noon it was it's like some western thing in front of his wife in front of everybody it was you know in your face stuff and this is what they did to RFK right it was it was he they knew he was that that he was going to get the nomination uh because they knew he was going to win California, and so they chose that night the night that he announced you know uh the victory and you know and then they killed him that night and uh but they they'd taken out martin Luther King just a couple of months earlier, so that was the end there was no there wasn't there was there weren't any other figures. Uh, that had any gravitas in our, in our body politic left. Um and so we went on another four years in Vietnam, another four years, another 200,000, uh, Americans. But you know, the, 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 uh, figures on the casualties in Vietnam of the Vietnamese people has, has gone up since <laughs> they used to say, you know, um, you know, a million or so or two million, it's it's a it's about six million people. It was a Holocaust. When not,
2: when not when, including when you, people you that, add, that, when that you had
0: add
2: when you add in the, Cambodia, when you add yeah. in Cambodia, which I think you have to, okay, you're you're approaching six million. Yeah. Yeah. And that
1: that's not including the people that uh that had genetic defects that that went on for two or three oh, generations yeah. afterwards, too. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a Holocaust uh as as bad as as the holocaust in Europe. It was
0: just very it was terrible. And and it is ongoing as you noted, John, uh because the, the Agent Orange and the other herbicides that were sprayed uh had devastating effects on not only the uh people who lived in Vietnam, but also uh many GIs. I have a, a close friend who uh died of cancer, believed to be uh related to Agent Orange. So uh it it is Not only a Holocaust, but something that continues to rack up mortality to this day. And
2: um, one last comment I'd like to make: when Bobby Kennedy announced, Martin Luther King was overjoyed. I mean, he was he was literally like jumping out of his chair. Okay, he was that happy that Bobby Kennedy was going to run. And in fact, he had told his advisors that we're not going to back McCarthy. Okay, because I want to see what Bobby's going to do, you know, so that's how, you know, that's how close those two guys were ideologically, you know, together by that time, you know, and as John says, they're both gone in two months (laughs) and, and and no and nobody says, how the hell did that happen?
0: You know? <laughs> right. Very quickly, we are almost out of time. Am I remembering the author correctly? There was a book, The Taking of America 1, 2, 3. Was that Richard Sprague who authored that?
2: That was Dick's, Yeah, that was Richard Sprague, the computer analyst, yes.
0: Yeah, Um the uh, reference is to the, the both Kennedys and Martin Luther King. Uh, John, we've got a little over two minutes left. Tell the audience about your books and uh, where they can find out more about the uh, topics you've covered
1: well um it's too many books to buy all at once. <laughs> it really is, so i would for people that haven't are not familiar with with my work, i would say that uh j f k in vietnam is it covers the the whole kennedy uh period of, of john f kennedy um but um i would also um say that the first thing you should do is read the new book, Pop Off's uh Uncovering Pop-Off's Mole, because it opens the door for understanding things in in the earlier books and for all the things that are going to happen in the future. Um, when you understand how we were so penetrated by the other side, um, it changes everything. So I would just say those those two books uh would be where you start. And um Maybe into the storm because there's so much in there about, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and the, and the transition from the Berlin Crisis, which almost, uh, flared up into a nuclear war between then and the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's all in, uh, um, into the storm, which is volume three. And the pop-off book is volume four.
0: All righty. Uh, we have been visiting with Jim Eugenio, uh familiar to the audience and selected by Oliver Stone to write the screenplay for JFTV Visited, and uh, a special guest, uh, John Newman, the author of numerous books uh, that he has uh, delineated, and uh, someone who figures prominently... Ian J.F.K. Revisited, and as we learned uh, in this last hour, was also uh, involved with uh, the original J.F.K. movie. This concludes for the record program number 1279, interview number 16 with Jim DeGemio and John Newman about J.F.K. Revisited. This is being recorded on December 16th of the year 2022. For Jim DeGemio and John Newman, this is Dave Irmer saying thanks for listening.